Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. See, Christmas is a magnifier. It magnifies the good, but it also can magnify the bad. And this morning what I want to do is, is let's look at Christmas and how it magnifies the good. That what, what God did for us, what we could not do for ourselves when he sent a baby boy named Jesus who would be born in a shadow of a cross to bring hope for a broken and lost world. For the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been in this series called Hope for You. We're, we're not, we haven't been really talking about hope in the general sense, like hope for the world. We've been just talking about you personally, uh, zeroing in uh, on you. The fact that there is hope for you. I mean, really, isn't it what the whole Christmas story is all about? It's a story of hope uh, for you. In fact, it's, it just reminds us how much God loves you. Um, not about how much God loves your neighbor. Not about how much God loves grandma and grandpa. Or how much God, you know, loves your grandkids. No, how much God loves you. If this season tells us anything, it tells us God loves you. God loves you. I want to thank you for being here this morning. I realize that Christmas is such a busy time of year. We're like less than 48 hours from the big day of celebration. And there's all this pressure to have everything together and put in order. And uh, so I realize by you being here today, it represents a, a decision that you made just to spend some time together this morning. And I realize you didn't come to hear me speak, but you know, you came to hear and see what God's word has to say to you this morning. The older I get, the more I, I think I'm discovering that hope seems to be missing in almost every area of society. For too many people woke up, for too many people that woke up this morning, there's this lack of something. And oftentimes it's just a lack of hope. And, and maybe it's true because you have lost someone this year. Or maybe finances are really lacking. They're so stressful this year. Or because maybe because one of your children went off the rails. Or, or maybe because your marriage is crumbling. And, and so uh, it just seems like there's no hope. And there's a lot of reasons why people feel hopelessness. You know, those moments of depression, those moments of despair, those moments of discouragement, moments... A pain and hurt and it just seems to pain a future that it's not very beautiful. In fact, for some, all, all they do is see a future that's filled with pain and hurt. And it's in these moments that things begin to get really cloudy for us. In fact, sometimes it gets so foggy, the fog is so thick, we, we just can't see which direction to turn to. And last week we looked at Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, that verse that offered us hope because it's, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, right? Plans for no harm for you, but plans for a hope, plans for a future. That's God's plan for you. That's his plan. But sometimes it seems as though God maybe has forgotten about us. Or maybe we have slipped through the cracks, seven billion people on the earth, and, I, and I'm the one who slipped through the cracks. Oh, no, no, my friend. See, God is always at work 
He's always at work. Sometimes he does his work in, in amazing ways, miraculous ways, and we stand back in awe, like, wow, look what God did. But most of the time, it seems like he's always working behind the scenes. And he's always working behind the scenes of our life. In fact, that's what Romans tells us. You know, all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not that all things are good, because we know all things aren't good. But somehow he is able to make all things work for our good. In the beginning, God created, of course we know, the, the world. And it was a perfect world. No death, no decay, no disease, no dying, no problems, only perfections. And so you would think in a world that is perfect, nothing could go wrong. But when God created man and woman, they rebelled against God and sin entered into the world. And from that moment, everything changed. And a world that had no problems to a world now all of a sudden did have discouragement and despair and depression and disease and decay. It all entered into the world at that time. But what was amazing is that immediately when that happened, God spoke words of hope. Immediately. I mean, you would almost think God would need a, a week or two to kind of cool off from all of his anger for, for Adam and Eve for just rebelling. But that's, see, that's not the nature of God. God speaks immediately on that day words of hope. And it's found in, you don't need to turn there, but in Genesis 3.15, it speaks about that there's going to be somebody who's going to destroy our enemy. Like immediately, hope would be coming. That a rescuer would come. And these verses really, uh, they establish this principle that runs through the entire Old Testament. It kind of creates an expectation that a deliverer is coming, that a rescuer is on his way, a redeemer is coming that will offer hope. And, and when you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is so amazing how precise, how meticulously accurate these, these, these prophecies are about this hope that would be coming our way. In fact, let me just share you some of the, how, how meticulous they are. In Isaiah, we're told that this rescuer, this deliverer, that he would be born of a virgin. That's pretty specific. Why didn't he just say he'll be born of a young girl? That'd be a lot easier to hit the, the target with that one. Or what about in Micah 5? It says that, uh, that this deliverer, this rescuer, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Why didn't he just say the Middle East? Why so specific? but it says in Bethlehem. And, and then we're also told that he was going to be called the Nazarene, which means he has to be from Nazareth. Like, why, why not say he'll be from the Middle East? Like, make it wide so at least you, you have a good chance that you'll hit the target. And, and, and Hosea, it, it, it tells, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, these things were made. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And Hosea, it tells us that he's going to be called out of Egypt. This rescuer, this deliverer, you may think, why is he even in Egypt if he's born in Bethlehem? And yet it says that's where this, that one day the deliverer, the rescuer, this redeemer, he'll be found up in Egypt, but he's going to be called back from Egypt. And, and then in Jeremiah, we're told that there's going to be this murderous plot take place in the Christmas story where babies will be killed in Bethlehem. And moms will weep and cry. We're also told he, he's out of the descendant of David. And we're also told that after he does come here, there's going to be a forerunner for him who will let people know that this, re, this, this uh, redeemer, this rescuer is on his way. 
We're also told, again, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that this Redeemer, this Rescuer, that he would be betrayed and that, that 30 pieces of silver would be offered for the betrayal. We're also told in Zechariah that he would be forsaken and that he would be pierced. Amazing how precise and meticulous all these prophecies are. And this morning, what I want to do is look, look at the meticulous precision of the hope that was born in Bethlehem. What a... a amazes me is how precise the details are when it comes to describing this redeemer who is on his way to bring hope for a hurting world. And, and when I begin to think about how meticulous, how precise God is about this rescuer, it makes me realize that God is in the details. See, that translates to me that God is concerned about those little things even in my life that he knows exactly what I need and he knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you're struggling with. He knows exactly what I'm struggling with. He knows exactly where he needs to meet you like he knows exactly where to meet me. He's into the details. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, because that's one thing we do every weekend at our services, we turn to God's word. Turn to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read just the first uh, couple of verses together. Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That was the first census that took place while Cyrenius was governor over Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to that house and, and of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's just pray. Father, I pray now, once again, as we look at this Christmas story, a story that is so familiar to, I'm sure, all of us here this morning. Lord, I, I pray that we could see it with fresh eyes again, how this hope has been born for us. So God, do your work among us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. See, this Christmas story, this birth of Jesus is the, is the one event that began to put in motion that men and women would finally, finally have hope and finally have their sins forgiven. Remember the angel came to Joseph and said, fear not, Joseph, uh, to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and she shall give birth, birth to a son and he shall save his people from his sins. That had never been heard before. What do you mean save people from their sins? See, people only knew that their sins could be covered. They had never heard that their sins could be dealt with, that they could actually be forgiven. Uh, for the first time, men and women were going to be offered hope that they would no longer have to be under the weight of the judgment of their sin. Because hope was born. Hope was on the manger floor. And there was hope for everyone. You know, I'm actually 
amazed. I'm amazed every Christmas season how this happens. But this particular year, I was, I was amazed again to hear hope being spread all over Sarnia. And some, in some ways, it's very subtle. Uh, for instance, I, like, I was in Walmart just this past week, and, and, I, and I'm picking up a few items, and all of a sudden, I hear these words of hope. And I'm like, what is going on in Walmart? Why is there words of hope being spread? And it wasn't hope like, hey, you can save $2. Blue light, you know, blue flashing light special. No, no, no. Do you know what I heard? Do you know what the words I heard that were being spread all over Walmart? Over the PA system? I heard these words. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. That was... That was being broadcast. Let me lead, read the rest of the words. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the, wor- the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a glorious morn. So fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels sing, O night divine. I couldn't preach a better message than that. It's just so clear what Christ had done for us. The fact that the world is weary and rejoices because hope was born. Hope had come to them. Because no longer did people have to waste away in their sins, because hope had come. Hope was born, and hope had a name, and his name was Jesus. And hope arrived in the most obscure place. No one could ever imagine that this hope that a king would be born in the most humbling of circumstances. I mean, there off the beaten path is Bethlehem. It's going to give birth to not just a king, but the king of kings. And, of course, Bethlehem had a history of, of king's birth because David was there. Of course, David had been born from Bethlehem. And, and when David was born... And he became the king. You know, there was a lot of hope in David. David was, a, you know, he, was a, he had his good days and his bad days, but he was known as a man who had a heart for God. He followed God and, and he loved God and, and people put a lot of hope in David, but then David died. Then what? But this new king that was going to be born in Bethlehem, there would be no end. And the thing is, it's just the beginning of the story that would begin to unfold for the world to see. I mean, as amazing as the story is, that God would become flesh and dwell among us and live among us, that's just the beginning of the story, though. See, it's toward the end of the story where there's power to change lives, where hope is actually born, actually comes from. I mean, yes, the birth is God with us, but his death and resurrection is what brought hope because he conquered death. It took away the power of sin's consequences, which was death. See, hope was alive. And in Micah 5, 2, centuries, seven centuries earlier, 700 years before Jesus was born, he said, this deliverer, this rescuer, that he would be born in Bethlehem. And fulfilled prophecy, you know what it does for us? It increases our faith. It validates our faith. 
and the power of God, that he can make all things happen just the way that he declares them, even in the most unlikely of circumstances. Now see, what fascinates me is that the boat 80 miles that separates what was foretold and what seems to be the inevitable. Let me, let me give you an example. If I was just to kind of draw a map here, and up here we have Israel and Judah, and we have the Sea of Galilee, you've heard of that, and over to the side of Sea of Galilee is Nazareth, just a few miles from the Sea of Galilee. Then there's the Jordan River, and then it kind of flows right into the Dead Sea, and then on the top part of the Dead Sea is Jerusalem, and then there's Bethlehem. So get in your mind. Maybe I'll do it this way. So we have the Sea of Galilee up on the top part of the country. And over to the side, we got Nazareth, right close to the water, mountainous area. And then you have the Sea of Galilee. And there's this long, winding Jordan River. And it, and it flows right into the Dead Sea. And on the, on the part of the Dead Sea here, there's Jerusalem, not too far away. And a few miles down is Bethlehem. Why I say it's, there's 80 miles between what is foretold and what seems to be the inevitable is because, see, Mary and Joseph are up there in Nazareth. But a prophecy has been told that he's going to be born down in Bethlehem. And the fact is, Mary is just days away from giving birth I mean, it's obvious she's going to give birth in Nazareth, not in Bethlehem. So how in the world does Mary get down to Bethlehem just really days before she gives birth? I mean, my understanding is, now you can correct me for some of you ladies, but when you're just days away from giving birth, you're not looking to go on a long hike. I mean, most want to, you know, stay uh, close to home, you know, where the hospital, where family is. No one's looking to plan a journey, a getaway weekend, when you're just days away. So to be so close to your due date and decide that you're going to travel 80 miles by foot, or even at the best maybe a donkey, seems so unreasonable. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say anything, but I have been observing that sometimes ladies that are, you know, great with child in their ninth month, back hurts, retaining a little water, ankles are swollen, right? Most people are like, get this child out of me. That's what's happening days before. You're ready. So here's where the invisible hand of God is at work. See, this is where he's working behind the scenes because he's into the details. God is going to use the government of all things to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. And see, the government wants to collect money because of taxes. God's going to use that to fulfill a prophecy. And a census would be taken which would cause people to go over the edge like, oh no, more taxes. We all know what that's like when all of a sudden we hear that our taxes are going to be, they're going to raise our taxes. Like, ah! But fortunately, we can just pay them right on the computer or stop by a bank and pay our bills. Or the, the government's so kind to us, they take it right out of our bank account if we want to. <laughs> but that's not what happens here. See, they've got to go on a journey. And for some, that means close down your business. Maybe some people have farms. Trying to figure out how, who's going to look after that. Who's going to pay the bills? But remember, hope, see, hope was coming. Hope was getting ready to be born. So how in the world is God going to get Mary 
to Bethlehem. Well, a census is going to be taken. Caesar Augustus issues this royal decree for a census. I mean, this would help register men for war and to collect taxes. Jewish people, of course, didn't have to fight in the Roman uh, military, but they did have to pay their taxes. And so the government is going to force Joseph, who is out of the lineage of David. And of course, David is from Bethlehem. So that's where you have to go back to. And so Joseph is going to make a trip back to his ancestral town. The crazy thing about this whole thing is that though Joseph had to go to Bethlehem, there's nothing that says Mary has to go. I mean, there's nowhere in study, we study history where it says the women had to go pay the taxes. No, that was actually left for the man to do. See, so it, it should have seemed sensible that Mary would stay here. It seems sensible to me that Mary's mother would have said, Mary, <laughs> I mean, Joseph's a good carpenter, but he's not a doctor, right? And, and this is a long trip. Mary, please, for the sake of your mother and father, just stay at home so we don't have to worry about what's going to take place with you? I mean, there's all kinds of roadblocks that should have prevented Mary from going on this journey. I, I just don't understand what, why she said, hey, that's be a good idea. Like, I'm trying to think, did Joseph say, Mary, I've been planning a backpack trip. And you're so close, I thought we could squeeze it in before the birth. It's only 80 miles. Now, just picture, like I'm picturing this for some of you ladies who may be close to giving birth, and your husband says, I've been thinking a backpack trip to Detroit, not on the main road, but through the woods. It'd be fun, wouldn't it? That's when you would say, uh, I know marijuana is legal. Are you been into it or something? Like, you really begin to, to question how in the world. Because, see, Mary's going to be on this journey, again, uh, very pregnant, and, and it's, not an easy, it's not a flat path. I, I was looking this up uh, this morning. I said, how long does it take to walk a mile? And I said, well, it takes about probably about 15 minutes, a moderate walker, uh, maybe 20 minutes if you're a little slower. And I'm thinking, well, probably Mary is a little slower. And, and it's not like a paved road. It's like rocky terrain. In fact, when you leave Nazareth, you, you kind of descend about 1,000 feet down. And, and most people say that the, the route that nobody went on this side of Jordan, but actually when you came down, you crossed over the River Jordan, and you were on the opposite side of the Jordan, and then you would cross back over to the river, and then you would make your way down to Bethlehem. Like, it's, it's going to be hot during the day in the desert. It's going to be cold at night. There, there's no five guys along the way, no Chick-fil-A, no Super 8. It's kind of out in the open air. Hard rocks, heavy terrain, easy to, to twist your ankle. And yet there's Mary making an 80-mile trip. That probably if you walked maybe 20 miles, if you could walk 20 minutes on a mile, a mile in 20 minutes, it takes about 23, 24 hours, I think. So if you walked all day and all night, yes, you could make it there. But let's be reasonable. Nobody's going to be doing that. So let's just say they got eight hours in a day. Good, heavy, solid. I mean, it's going to be at least a three-day's journey. Uh, and probably a little bit longer. 
since the terrain is so rugged and, and so rough. And I don't know what Joseph was saying. Come on, hang in there, Mary. Come on, hang in there. We're almost there. But hope was on its way. See, hope was coming. Mary is one tough lady to make that kind of a journey. And the Bible says that while she was there in Bethlehem, while they were there to pay their taxes, to do what the government had asked, while they were there, it was time for her to give birth, which we can only imagine. Yeah, of course you would after a trip like that. And of course, it says there was no room anywhere. Like, there was no room anywhere. And so, her firstborn child, born in a stable, laid in a manger because there was no room. And yet the Bible, and the Bible tells us that shepherds, I mean, honestly, if you do any kind of a study of that time period, shepherds are kind of the lowest of the low. I mean, no one wants to be a shepherd. But shepherds were out in the field just doing their job, working the line, as we would say. And it says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the radiance of the Lord just surrounded them. It was like blinding. And told them that today in the city of David, a Savior was born. Hope was born. For thousands of years, people have been waiting, just waiting for this rescuer. And now, the words they heard, they were the first people, the first people to hear it. Hope was born. Hope has come. And there's hope for you. And you can find him lying in a manger. And then suddenly it says, a whole host of angels were there. <laughs> Shouting glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and this promise that was given to us hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years was what people had finally waited for somebody was going to come and deal with my sin that that Jesus Christ wasn't just going to come and treat the symptoms see he was going to Forgive people. You understand, that's brand new for people. That's brand new for people to hear that sins could be forgiven. We know what it's like to try to cover up our sins, and that's all that people knew in the Old Testament, that they would make a, a sacrifice, make sacrifices regularly, and all it would ever do is just cover up their sins. This is big news for people, big, big news. This is hope. What do you mean my sins can be forgiven? I don't know how, if you're wired with medical stuff, but... You know, if a doctor says to you, hey, we can't treat your problem, but we can treat the symptoms, you know that's not good. I, I haven't, my cousin, close cousin of mine, uh, her and her husband have been in pastoral ministry probably, I don't know, 35 years now, and, and she was just diagnosed a few months ago with a very rare, aggressive cancer. And the doctor says, there's nothing we can do for you. Now, we can try to mask some of the symptoms. We, we can give you something to cover the pain, we might even be able to prolong your life for a little bit, but there's nothing we can do for you. See, all through the Old Testament, that was their story. See, the issue was sin, and it could never, ever be dealt with. Just little coverings along the way. 
But now, for the first time ever, sins actually could be forgiven. And that was the hope that Isaiah had prophesied about, that Jesus Christ during this Christmas season would be the one who would take the crooked hearts and the broken hearts and mend them and straighten them up. That he could actually change a life by changing someone's heart. And the reality is, it's our only hope. It is our only hope. It's my only hope. It's actually your only hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. So what was prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago finally had come. It finally arrived. And what is so amazing, it's one thing to have your sins forgiven. It'd be like, it's one thing to have your cancer, say, um, heal. But, you know, there's all those effects from drugs, that, you know, the side effects. And so, okay, maybe the cancer's gone, but you're still suffering maybe some of the side effects. Well, here's what I find amazing, that not only does God forgive you of your sin, but then he goes above that, and then he wraps us with a robe of righteousness. Who's ever heard of something like that before? That's what God does. So now when God looks at us, he doesn't, see, he doesn't see the sin in our life. He sees the righteousness of his son that's been placed upon us. That's hope. <laughs> we call hope. This season, I've read through the Christmas story so many times again, and, and like many of you, you know, you, you just read it and you read it, and you've been reading it for years, and once again this year, something caught my eye. It was Matthew 1.23. It says, we are told that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. No, 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 you understand what I'm saying? God with us, God with you, God with me. I mean, God was, God is, and God will be with you. God with us, Emmanuel. God, not just God watching over us. No, no. God with you. God with you. That means when you stand at the foot of a grave of a loved one, God's with you. Uh, that means when your marriage is crumbling, it means God's with you. See, it means when, when there's been a, a downsizing of the company and you've been let go, manual means, no, God's with you. See, sometimes we think God's abandoned us during those times. No, no, no. God is with you. And God's with you when maybe when the day comes that you find yourself in a hospital bed and they said there's no hope and you're dying. God's with you. Not God's watching over you. God's with you. That's Emmanuel. God with us. You know, God was with us as a church 80 years ago when those tents were erected. And people came to know Jesus Christ. And, and God was with the church family when they bought that first piece of property and, and they put that little building on it. God was with us. 
And then the big dreams of buying another piece of property and building actually a bigger church. God was with us then. And when we marched through the city and came here, God was with us. God was with us. God is with us. And God will be with us. And God will be with us when we get ready to face 2019 and all of its challenges. That's Emmanuel. Let's hope. Let's hope for you. Hope for me. That no matter what you're facing today, there's hope. And even the, this morning, I realize there's people watching online who are listening to these words and wondering, is there hope for me? Yes, there's hope for you. And hope has a name, and it's Jesus. So when your child has been diagnosed with a debilitating disease, God's with you. God's with you. when we find ourselves so overwhelmed, feeling those moments of despair, let me tell you, God's with you. God hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, I love when the angel said to Mary, Mary, God is with you. How powerful is that? Which is, it's good to know because if Mary had just known her future, how devastated she would be to know that one day her son would be arrested, falsely accused, sentenced to a, a death by crucifixion, then beaten. How would you ever be able to face that on your own? No, you can't. That's why the promise is God is with you. God is with you. But you know, as amazing as the story is about the birth of Christ, and it is an amazing story, it's not just about the manger. It's not just about a baby lying there in the hay. It's not just about the angels who sang for him on that day. It's ultimately always been about the cross. It's about the cross. See, the manger and the cross are, are inseparable. You, you can't have the one without the other. And they're so intricately woven together the manger and the cross. By the way, in Bethlehem, another meticulous prophecy was told. It said that there would be a murderous plot take place and that babies would die and moms would cry because Herod the Great got pretty jealous when he heard the news that a king was going to be born in his town. <laughs> no, no, that doesn't happen. I'm the king. And so when the wise men came to him and they asked, how long have you been following the star? When did the star first appear? They said about two years the star first appeared. And so Herod just says, well, then kill every baby, boy, two years and younger. Wipe them all out. Like these prophets, so meticulous, so precise. Which says, oh, God is in the details. He's in the minute details even of your life this morning. So maybe um, you're here and you, your thoughts have been, all, well, God just deals with the big stuff. I have to deal with the small stuff. No, that's not true, actually. God deals with the small stuff too. The very little minutia. 
and, and, and nothing slips by him. Sometimes we do. We have these feelings like, okay, seven billion people, he can't watch over all of us. I think I really fell through the cracks because of maybe what you're dealing with. Maybe you've had those moments where you just feel so overwhelmed, moments of depression, moments of despair. I love, I love what Jesus says. And he doesn't say, by the way, well, you know, if you follow the three-step program, you'll, you'll, you'll do better. Hey, do this, this, and this. No, no, no. You know what he says? With all the stuff that's weighing us down, all the brokenness that keeps us weighed down, he says, come, and I'll give you some rest. You know when you feel just so tired, you're exhausted from being exhausted? And Jesus says, come, come, and I'll give you some rest. In fact, he also says, take all that stuff that weighs you down, just kind of throw it at me. I can carry that for you. Because remember, God's with us. Take all that junk, all that heaviness, all those moments of the Spirit, just kind of throw it onto me, and I'll give you rest. There's something about when you can just take that breath and sigh, like, you know, sometimes you finish a project that you've been working on, like, it's done. I can go to bed. I can get some rest. Well, that's what Jesus says. Come, and I will give you rest. You do not have to face this on your own. See, Jesus was born not just to bring the world hope, but to bring you hope right where you are this morning. Let's pray.